1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. Let me read it for us, and then we will just walk through as we make our way in understanding this. John writes, and he says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, look what he says here, we lie and do not practice the truth. Conversely, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. However, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The heart of what John communicates to us in this is if we understand the character If we understand the character of who God is, then we find our actions transformed. So conversely, you'd say if you misunderstand the character of who God is, you'll find your actions are also transformed, but in the wrong direction. So John is moving in directly to address the importance, one, of knowing who God is, and then from an accurate knowledge of who God is, we see our actions moving in the right line. Look how he begins this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. John is is bringing them up to speed, catching them up on the message that that uh, that he has heard, that his group is communicating from Jesus to them. And so John is an apostle of Jesus. He's a follower of Jesus. And he's communicating this message that they've heard from Jesus, from the teaching of Jesus, from the gospel he wrote about Jesus to those in this likely Ephesian village, town. And so he says there's something that we need to know about him, and we need you to know it as well. And so we recognize that John isn't primarily communicating on the basis of his experience of Jesus. So he's not just saying, this is how we experienced him, and on the basis of our experience, we we invite you to walk in light of that same thing. He is writing and giving them a concrete idea of who Jesus is, who in fact God is. And he says something really particular. Look at this. Heard from him, we proclaim to you, God is light. Everybody say, God is light. Devastatingly effective. He communicates, he goes into them, and he speaks into the midst of society populated by many different forms of God. And many of these gods, not good. As depraved and as awful as the people that follow them. And so he steps into the middle of it and he interjects this radical idea of the God that he puts forward. He said, This God is light. Now, many things pop into our mind with this discussion of light, but what John is seeking to communicate is that God is complete and utter moral perfection. He's complete and utter moral perfection. And so then we, we hear this and we recognize that he is set apart and vastly different than anybody and everybody that we experience in our lives, right? And so there are people we think of as being good, certainly, but we recognize if we push it to the extreme and say, but is he or is she morally perfect? And you say, well, no, there was that one time they stabbed someone to death. You're like, oh, 
friends. That's, that's not even close to morally perfect. But really, I mean, so we recognize that everyone in our lives, ourselves included, all those people we seek to emulate and live up to, all of those people in some sense are not morally perfect. But this God, he gets in, he says he is morally perfect. And then you know that there are those with questions like, really, is he totally 100% morally perfect? So John hits them again. He says, yes, absolutely. In him, there is no darkness. In fact, he uses a double negative. In him, there is no darkness, no, no darkness at all. So he seeks to communicate this aspect of who our great God is. He says he is completely and utterly morally perfect and that there's no deficiency in him. And so you might say, well, well, my experience of God, I know the scripture says that God is love, but I don't really feel loved. And I know the scripture says God is good, but I don't particularly feel his goodness. And so we recognize that our understanding, this is so important, our understanding of scripture is not read through the lens of our experience. Do you understand that? And so when, when my wife wakes up in the morning, it's just to use an example from my own family, hopefully... She remembers the fact that I love her, and she's not reading it through this lens of it's early in the morning, and why are you talking to me? And so our experience of God, we may feel particularly distant to God at some times. We may feel particularly close to God at other times, but we don't read Scripture through that lens. Instead, we interpret our lives through what Scripture says. And Scripture here tells us that God is morally perfect, that there is absolutely no deficiency in him so that's who god is that's the character trait of god that we absolutely have to know and from a rock solid understanding that our god is totally morally perfect that our god is good by definition then we begin to find out what do we need to be so john begins to deal with it in terms of of what we shouldn't be look what he says in verse six if we say that we have fellowship with him everybody say god is light and so if we say that we have fellowship with this God who is light, then look where we are, while we walk in darkness. And so this, this, this word, this idea of walking, he's talking about just the, the natural manner of our existence. And so you wake up in the morning, you brush your teeth, you go to work, and all these things, that everything about who you are, the natural ebb and flow of our life, if that can be characterized as being darkness. Now some of us have dark days, right? But what John is talking about here isn't just this, this idea that, that sin kind of creeps in and sin manifests itself. And so occasionally your wife or, or your friend or somebody else says, does this make me look fat? And you say, no, honey, you look so slender and amazing, right? Or, or you find yourself in this situation where you present something that's a little bit less than true. You do something that's not completely honest. This is not necessarily an indication that darkness has overrun you in your life. The picture John gives here is this person who is completely enmeshed and admired in darkness. Their way of life is complete and utter darkness. So we find this person in the midst of this, that they say they have fellowship with God, but everything about the way they live is darkness. Maybe you know this person. Maybe you've met this person. You talk to them and you ask them, what do you believe? And they're like, man, God is so good. And then they have some catchy phrase, and they'll say like, oh, God is good all the time, all the time God is good. And you're like, amen, hallelujah. And you're giving high fives and all these things. And you find out that their Christianity is really nothing more than catchphrases and bumper stickers. That when you really get to know them, begin to hear them, begin to learn about their lives, their life is so completely messed up. They are not living for God in any way, shape, or form. They're merely professing something about him. 
saying something about him in certain crowds and certain audiences. So John says, if we say we have fellowship, we say we're close to God, but we walk in darkness, look what he goes on to say. We lie. This is a hard truth. If you're completely enmeshed in sin, and you're given over to some sin, and it is the overriding characteristic of your life, but you claim to be close to God, John would call you a liar. He would look at you in your life and say, I'm sorry, like, I'm just trying to wrap my mind around this. You say you're close to God, but I see nothing in your life that gives me testimony to that. I see nothing in your life that gives me an indication of that. So he would look at you and say, I am glad you feel that way, but friend, you're a liar. You're a liar. And, and furthermore, you're not practicing the truth. And what's he talking about? You see, when we understand and know that God is light, it produces some change in us. It, 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 it necessarily changes the way we act, it changes the way we converse, it changes our opinions about other people that disagree with us. And so he says, if you know the truth, then you can't possibly walk in darkness. It's incompatible. Light and dark cannot occupy the same space at the same time. This is what he's saying. And so if God is light and you're communicating, you're professing to have fellowship with him and you walk in the darkness, you're a liar and you have no part in the truth of the true character and nature of God. Do you understand? So he goes through and he said, well, this isn't me. I don't, I don't recognize this person. I don't have fellowship. I don't, I'm not walking in darkness. And he says, okay, well, look at this here. Verse 7. If... If we walk in the light as he is in the light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light. When Valerie and I lived in Prague, we had a number of friends that struggled with uh, SAD, seasonal affective disorder. And so we didn't have just a ton of sunlight year round. So winter would roll around and these people would struggle. They would, they would, they would find themselves kind of shifting into depression. And so they'd go see a doctor, and he'd say, why are you sad? And they're like, well, just every time winter rolls around, I get sad. And so he would prescribe for them a, a, a certain amount of time every day, right on a piece of paper, that they had to spend in light. And so they would buy these lamps specially made to have a positive effect on those with sad, with seasonal affective disorder. And so he'd write 30 minutes of time in light every day, right when you wake up. You don't look at it, but you have this light right there, and it is positively affecting you. And so what we find is that our time spent in the light has a positive effect on us, much like those with seasonal affective disorder who spend time in the light. So he finds us here, he says, but, 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 if the manner and the course of our life is found to be such that we are walking in the light, everybody say, God is light. So we find there's a difference here. God is light, we are not light, but we walk in light, right? So God is light, but if we walk in the light, where is he? He is in the light. We have fellowship with God. Wait, that's not what he says. That would seem to be how we would play it out. So if Trey and I were to get together and we're to write this out, God is light, we walk in the light, we have fellowship with God. But John looks at it and he says, no, that's not primarily what I need to address. You recognize that if you're in the light and God is in the light, you obviously have fellowship with, with God. That doesn't need to be communicated. But what does need to be communicated is if God is in the light and you walk in the light, you have fellowship with other Christians. 
And so we recognize and we look at it and we understand that if you're not fellowshipping with other Christians, if you're not spending time with other Christians, it may be an indication that you don't really have true fellowship with God. You see, if there's an interruption in your vertical relationship with God, it plays out on a horizontal plane. And so I recognize that when I am not finding myself studying the word, when I'm not finding myself meditating and, and, and really just ruminating on who God is, I have no desire to be around you guys. I don't want to talk to my kids about Jesus when I am not having a, an accurate and good and healthy and vibrant vertical relationship with God. It has nev negative effects on the horizontal plane. So John gets into it, he says, but if you walk in the light as he is in the light, you have fellowship one with another. Fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ flows from your relationship with God. Frankly put, one of the reasons we see so many problems in churches is because we have a lot of people who have zero relationship with God who on Sunday morning spend their time inside a church. And these people have zero relationship with God or this just kind of cursory, we're uh, kind of social friends. We go to a lot of the same parties together. Those happen on Sunday mornings, me and God. And so if this is your relationship and experience with God, you're not going to be friendly to other Christians. You're not going to like them. Why? Because you have no connection with them. Christian, if you find yourself over and again struggling with other Christians and, and you're just so frustrated and angry with them the way they do things, this is likely not an indication that there's something wrong with them, but an indication something is wrong with you. If you find yourself focusing on the character of God who is light, manifesting that in obedience, walking in the light, you're going to find yourself having fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're going to be able to accomplish a lot more for the kingdom of God than we ever could if we only seek to advance our own agenda. That's what he says there. And so the first fallout of this is we have fellowship with one another. But look at the other one. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Fellowship, time spent with God in the light, walking in the light, avails us the possibility of having our sin absolved, our sin washed away. We are made clean. Now, both of these ideas he paints in this, this kind of present tense idea. And so we are currently walking. It's not that we once walked. It's not that we once walked down an aisle and we had some profession of faith and so we're in this hallelujah chorus for the rest of our lives and we can live however we want to. No, that's walking in darkness. The idea of walking in light, that our lives are constantly, consistently identified with walking with Jesus gives us the assurance that he is readily, daily, hourly, moment by moment, some of you, millisecond by millisecond, absolving you and ridding you of the sin in your life. This is good news. You struggle, you wonder, how may I abide? How do I stay close to this God? It is through walking with him. You see, because in the midst of walking with him who is light, he is constantly stripping the sin away from your life. Sin has no ability to keep you from this great God because every moment spent with him is a moment where he's ripping and shredding and tearing this sin out from your life. Do you understand his gracious love to you? The blood of his son, his son who came who lived a perfectly sinless life, who took on the pain, the penalty, the punishment of sin for you. Affords you the possibility of having your sin atoned for, covered. 
God is cleansing you from all sin. The stain of sin is forever removed from your life and it's displayed in fellowship one to another as we all abide in the light together. Now moving in this, John in 8 through 10 really moves into a really explicit discussion of sin and sin's devastating effect. I want to take 8 and 10 together because they really kind of piggyback on one another and then we'll end with verse 9. Look what he says here in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, and then look at the first part of verse 10, if we say we have not sinned. Now these are parallel ideas, but they're a little bit different from one another. In verse 8, what he's talking about is this sin nature. And so you say, I have no identification with sin. I have no identification with sin. And so your understanding of humanity was to be, say, that we're basically born sinless, we're basically born good. This is effectively the argument here. Anybody have kids in here and want to contend that when they hit three that they're basically good, right? You put two three-year-olds in the room and one toy, only one walks out alive, right? This is just kind of how it goes. I got one toy. Can we share it? No, right? This is how a lot of puppies die. You put one in the room with two three-year-olds. I got a leg. He needs that. I would say try that with cats, because it doesn't really matter. Something happens. Anyway. <laughs> Nasty critters. <laughs> so you find this person in verse 8 who basically says, I have no sin nature. People are, are, are basically good. At the heart of us, we basically desire good. We recognize from any time spent studying humanity that we're not good. Humanity always thought, or in some sense, that it was on this uptick towards utopia, that it's getting better and better and better. World War I comes around and we recognize that we're not good. In fact, the only thing we're really good at is killing one another at an alarming rate. And then a little bit later, World War II comes around and reminds us of the same thing. We're not good. We have this inability to work out our differences amicably with one another. So this person says that, that we have no sin. Look what he says here. We deceive ourselves. So we're not just lying, but we are lying to ourselves. He says, and the truth is not in us. What is this truth? The truth that he's referring to is this concrete idea that God is light and in him is no darkness. Our meditation, our time spent focusing on this God who is light shows us that we are absolutely not light. That we are these people who frequently take on darkness. We are these people who frequently find ourselves falling short of the perfect morality of our great God. And so those people who believe this, they are deceiving themselves. He says, the truth isn't in you. And then verse 10, he says, if we say we have not sinned, so perhaps you, you confess and you say, okay, well, I recognize that humanity is not perfect, but I tell you what, I have not sinned. I've not personally been culpable for any sin. I've not personally been guilty for any sin. Look what he says. We make him a liar. So we move from this idea of self-deception to looking at God and saying, God, you are a liar. If you sit here, and you're here today, and the reason you don't come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ is because you look at God and you say that sin isn't real, that it either has no effect on me or I personally have no need of a Savior, effectively what you're doing is you're looking at God and you're saying, you are a liar. We make him a liar. From the Old to the New Testament, we get the repeated refrain and understanding that humanity is desperately in need 
of redemption. Isaiah 53, 6 tells us this. It phrases it this way. He says, all of us like sheep have gone our own way. Everybody pursues what is in their heart. Everyone pursues the things they want, the things that please themselves most. This is humanity. This is all of us. This is all of us. We get into Romans 3, 23, and Paul writes it this way. He says, for all have sinned. Everybody say, I have sinned. Paul says, everybody sinned, and they have fallen short of the glory of God. So we recognize on just those two accounts, and the Bible is full, it is replete with repeated evidence that humanity has sinned, that we personally have sinned. And because we have sinned, when we either say we have no sin nature or we say we haven't personally sinned, we make God a liar. And then he goes on, he says, and his word is not in us. If this is what you believe, if this is what you are, not only does the word Jesus Christ not dwell in you, but his word, the Bible, has no part and parcel of your life. Because the life you live and the things you proclaim live in direct contradiction to what God's word says. We have sinned. Paul paints it beautifully in Ephesians 2. He says, but while we were yet dead in our trespasses and sins, we were spiritually dead and set apart and strongly willed and dispossessed against God. We wanted nothing to do with him. And in the midst of our deadness, God called us to faith. Look what he says in verse 9. He says, if we confess our sins, so he finds us in the middle of this. If we recognize that we are a sinner, and some of our spouses readily proclaim this about us, but if we proclaim it personally, me, Matt, before you, and I say, I am a sinner, if I confess my sins, the word here means in some sense to admit, friend, God already knows your sin. This is both the devastating and relieving thing about Christianity. God looks at your heart. He knows your hidden sin. You can be friends with somebody for 90, 120, 30 years, and they can never know the inward sin that you have in your heart. But God looks at you. He looks at your heart. He knows the bitterness. He knows the loss. He knows the anger. He knows the doubt. He knows the shame. He knows the reason you dress this way, the reason you talk this way. He knows every sin, every wayward thought forever. So that's why this in here, this, this idea of admitting, verbalizing, saying out loud or in your own heart what God already knows to be true about you, if we confess our sins, our confession runs directly into his character. And what it is, we find him faithful and just. Occasionally, I can remember when I was younger, and this is awkward because my mom's here today. But when I was younger and I would admit that I had done something wrong, my greatest fear was that my dad was just going to do this number. Like, I still can't do it as a dad. But you know how the deal is like they undo the belt and it comes all around you here, pop pop is it's coming around and like slapping against his waist on the way out and then it goes out there and like lightning bolts hit it out there and then it comes in watch out and all that takes like a quarter of a second and you've cried like a bucket of tears 
And so my fear was always that my confession would find him like pop, 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 wee-chow. It never happened that way, but this is always my memory of, like when I think back of my childhood and breaking something, Dad, I broke it. Was it your brother? No, I didn't break him. He broke me. Okay, you're fine. Let's go on. But our, our, our ideas with God sometimes find us with this fear that if we confess our sin to God, we'll find him as this, this cosmic giant who is reaching out his belt to Papa. But what we find in the midst of our confession, in the midst of our verbalization of our inadequacies and our failures, those meet God faithful and just. They meet God pure and true. And his faithfulness towards us is his communication that if we say, God, I have sinned, it is always met with and you are forgiven. Our communication to God that I have sinned is always met with his faithful response, you are forgiven are forgiven the text tells us here if we confess our sins he's faithful and just look what it says to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness so we recognize first in our first confession to god we confess that jesus is lord that we have fallen that we're in desperate need of redemption and in that we are welcomed into his heavenly family we are made brothers and sisters in christ our sin is atoned for by the blood of Jesus, and we are welcomed forevermore. But Christian, if, you've been in, if you have been in the relationship with Jesus long enough, you recognize that sin has this ability to, to find its way in. It's this silent, quiet killer. Especially if you isolate yourself and you don't have fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ to point out sin in your life. In the midst of your current battle against sin, some of you I know what it is, some of you I don't. In the midst of your current struggle against sin, this is my word to you. Confess your sin to God. Your sin will find you out. If you hold back your sin, he will continue to work on you and he will expose your sin. Two weeks ago, a good friend of mine, we did seminary together, we did PhD work together. He is being recruited to do national conferences. He is uh, a pastor of one of the larger churches in the Metroplex. He's just going off the charts. Two weeks ago, he loses his church. Because what he failed to remember Secret sin never stays secret. Secret sin never stays secret. The lie of the enemy is to lull you in and say, yo, yo. I, I don't know why Satan talks that way. Maybe, maybe it's just me. <laughs> Justin, does he talk that way to you? No? Okay. He does. You know he does. Holds you in and says, nobody needs to know. It's going to be embarrassing. It's going to make people look at you funny. Nobody needs to know. It's okay. That is a lie. If we'll be broken, humble, and honest with one another, and just readily admit, man, there are things I really struggle with. I mean, I've got real struggles. And I am so thankful that I have brothers around me, men around me, who I can talk to about these struggles. 
I can talk to my wife about my struggles, and I don't have to, to hold these back, that I can show them that I am broken, that I am in daily need of redemption. Secret sin seeks to build you up, and you're protecting yourself from receiving, in a real sense, the forgiveness of God, and it will devastate everybody around you because you never gave them a chance to help you walk in the light. Confession is still walking in the light. It's just admitting we need the light. So two weeks ago, my friend loses his church. Last night, I'm sitting and I'm going over this and I'm thinking about it. I found an article that he, read, that he wrote for his university a while back. And in this article, he just talked about the need for confession. And he talked about the need to be broken. He talked about the need to walk in the light, to have people that will call you on things. And he talked about the need to stay humble. We know these truths. We communicate them to everybody around us. But the proof of us believing them is us putting them into action for ourselves. Our God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And this calls us, demands that we to walk humbly in the light together. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you for your goodness to us. God, I thank you so much for the work of redemption that you do in our hearts and salvation. Father, I pray for the one here this morning who is struggling with some secret sin that you would lead them to walk in confession and that you would be with us to come alongside and walk with them to encourage them, to lead them back to the safety and security of their salvation in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for the one who has yet to surrender themselves to you they are walking in darkness, masquerading as if darkness is light. They're like those in Isaiah who say that darkness is light and light is darkness. Good is evil and evil is good. God, would you help them to walk in the truth? Would you help them to cry to Jesus for forgiveness and salvation? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.